I know that I often ask questions like this rhetorically, but I'm gonna do something that could potentially make some of you a little uncomfortable, but this is actually not rhetorical. I, I, I would like to hear from you about this question. Is there anybody here who knows sort of their long family an ancestry? Like maybe it's just pe been passed down and you know it, or you've done an ancestry.com kind of a thing, but where, where, are you, where do you, some of you come from? Who are your forefathers? Where, who are you? Who built you? Bill. I have three grandparents in Ireland, Scotland. So you're Finnish, right? That's what it's, it is? And, okay, so Finnish, Irish, Scottish. Great. Who else? Anybody else? Chuck? Oh, so Native American. Awesome. Okay, so Norway, Germany, Sweden, Native American. Anybody else? Yes. Don. Great. So Holland and South Africa. Fantastic. Joseph. My mom has a, a family tree that uh, shows that from And uh, my dad is uh, Spanish Fantastic. So that, that Mayflower thing is really cool. Does anyone here know, do you have any sort of famous, whether for good or bad reasons, any famous people in your, in your family history? Anyone related to someone famous? Joseph? Mary Dyer. Mary Dyer? Oh, great. Okay. Awesome. In Norway, there's a statue of So we have royalty in our midst. We have royalty in our midst. Does your family know? Do they treat you appropriately? <laughs> you know, I, I find the, our, our fascination as human beings, we seem to have a, a fascination with our ancestry and where we come from. And I'm not critiquing that. I, I don't think that that's wrong. I'm, again, I, if it sounds like I'm critiquing it, I'm not. But it, I think you could, from, a, from, a, from some logical standpoint, argue that it's kind of pointless, you know, like, who, who cares? I, I'm related to Abraham Lincoln. I'm not, but you know, some of the, I'm related to Abraham Lincoln. Uh, what does that mean for me or for you today, you know? But for some reason, we're just fascinated. We, we love knowing where we came from. We love knowing who was in our family history, where they were from, what they experienced. We love being united to people through kind of our bloodlines. We just have this amazing fascination with it. I'll remember just one quick story before we tie all this in. Uh, I, I, as many of you know, um, I just ha have never really liked the taste of beer. I just, I don't like it that much. I, I don't have a moral qualm with it. I'm not telling you you're not allowed to drink it. I just, I just, I've tried lots of different kinds and I never really liked them. But I remembered that my grandmother on my mom's side, she immigrated here from Belgium. And so I found out that there's a lot of kind of beers that we have here that are supposed to be Belgian. Now, I, I don't know what that, even what that means. I just told that, you know, these are Belgian beers. And I just wanted to like them so much. You know, like I just thought maybe there's something in my blood that will enjoy the taste of this. But why? Where does that, where does that come from? This, 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 we love to know where we came from and to be united to people. And, and sometimes this does evolve into bad things. 
the tribalism that can be created and the animosity and the strife that can be created. So sometimes this can be a bad thing. But one of the most important contexts to keep in mind in the New Testament is that the Jewish people were very concerned with their ancestry, but unlike many of us, they actually had somewhat of a biblical precedent to do this. It was very, very important for the Jewish people to know where they came from, to know to what tribe they belonged, to know who their forefathers were. This was extremely important for all of them. And and the primary reason this is the case is because of what is known as the Abrahamic Covenant. We briefly discussed it last week and the week before. We've started to talk more about it. But God gave a promise to Abraham. And and this is why we call Abraham Father Abraham. He became the father of many nations, people say. Because he sort of started this lineage of promise and prophecy. And he had a special line, a special seed that was called to be blessed. And we see this sort of coming to fruition in the Old Testament, right? The son of the descendants of Abraham, Moses and Aaron. And then the different tribes of the brothers. And then, so it's very, very important for the Jewish people to say where they came from, who their grandparents were. And you'll find this in certain Jewish communities even today. I don't know how valid or accurate they are, but many Jewish families have extensive Jewish trees that they can prove to you, I am a physical descendant of David. I am a physical descendant of Abraham. They can prove that these great forefathers are their forefathers. And if you are Belgian or Norwegian or Irish, the chances are they're not your forefathers. As a matter of fact, before we read our text today, why don't you just open to Matthew chapter 3 to set the scene, the stage for this just a little bit. I will reference this verse again, but I'm going to read it a little out of order than I originally had planned. Matthew chapter 3, this is John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus' ministry. So John the Baptist goes throughout Jerusalem, baptizing people and calling them to repent and to, get, to make way for the Lord of glory. And as he's doing this, the Pharisees come down to seek this baptism. And John the Baptist isn't having it. So look at what happens in verse 7. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and then this is the key, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So this issue of Abraham as my father was not just important to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it was an argument It validated their argument. It validated their rights. They felt, we have a right. If you are offering some spiritual blessing, if you are offering some divine blessing to the people of God, we have a right to this blessing because Abraham is our father. And the promises of God come to the descendants of Abraham. So if Abraham's my forefather, you cannot withhold any of these blessings from us. And John the Baptist tells them. He cuts them off because he knows how prominent this argument is. He knows how prominent it is. He cuts them off before they even say it. He says, and do not presume to leverage Abraham. Abraham's your forefather, therefore you are deserving of things. God can make sons of Abraham from these very rocks. 
And this sort of sets the scene for Paul's argument in our text today. So turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Last week, the last two weeks, we focused on verse 6. Paul is still talking about justification by faith alone apart from works. And what Paul has done is he has brought Abraham into his argument and demonstrated that Abraham was justified by faith. And so if we want to be in his lineage, we want to be justified by faith. And so verse 6 was not only an argument in and of itself that we looked at last week, but it actually now begins the start of a whole new line of thought. So he's going to elaborate a little bit on this issue of Abraham and being part of the Abrahamic blessing, being part of Abraham's lineage. And we will see some of the significance of that. Galatians chapter 3, if you would begin with me in verse 7 and follow along, for these are the very words of God. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So as we can see, and as we have seen, I think we'll continue to see, this issue of justification is not at all unrelated to the issue of the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic promise. Even the Jews had a notion that justification and being part of the people of God was sort of one and the same thing. And the Jews thought essentially that by being Abraham's descendants, just by being in his bloodline, this automatically makes us the people of God. So the Jews had one, one assumption, which is that I belong to the people of God based on my ancestry, based on my forefathers. Now they understood that Gentiles who cannot claim Abraham as their physical lineage, they, they still didn't say Gentiles cannot be brought into this fold. They knew that there was a way for the Gentiles to be brought in, and what we're seeing in all the book of Galatians is what was the wrong answer to that? Works of the law. In other words, the Jewish thought was essentially this. We are the descendants of Abraham. We are the people of God just by birth. If you want to be part of this, then you need to obey the law. And what Paul does in Galatians chapter 3, 7 through 9, is he refutes both of those notions. Both of them. On, the, on the, the one hand, your lineage does not guarantee you a place in the people of God. So he refutes that notion that just because you're Jewish doesn't mean anything. And then he goes on to refute the second notion, which is that he agrees, yeah, Gentiles can be brought into the people of God, but it's not through the law. So this will actually be a three-point sermon, but I want us to focus just on the first two for a moment. So the first point that Paul makes right from the get-go is that the Abrahamic blessing, the Abrahamic covenant, being part of Abraham's lineage, is by faith, not by lineage. If you want to be united to Abraham, if you want to be tied to his covenant, your bloodline has nothing to do with it. Because look at what he says in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So who's a son of Abraham? Someone who does Ancestry.com? And finds out that they're 99.9% Jewish? That doesn't make you a son of Abraham. Ishmael was a son of Abraham. But he wasn't part of the covenant. 
Your bloodline has nothing to do with it. And here's the most important point. It's never had anything to do with it. Know this. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So I don't care what you know about who you're related to, whether you are Norwegian royalty or Mayflower descendants. By faith in Christ, Abraham is your forefather. Abraham belongs to you. He's your great-grandfather. Because it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Which is why John the Baptist told the Pharisees, don't come down here bragging about your lineage. God could turn these stones into children of Abraham. Because it has nothing to do with who you are born to. And it never has. It is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. As a matter of fact, keep your marker here and turn to uh, Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Paul makes a very similar point to begin Romans chapter 9. He starts by lamenting this great travesty that so many of the physical Jews, his brothers and sisters according to the flesh, have rejected their Messiah, are outside the people of God, and therefore are not saved. And the Jewish readers are going to think, well, Paul, that doesn't make sense because we've read the Old Testament, and the Old Testament tells us that God is going to bless, and he is He is gathered together as the people of God, all of Abraham's descendants. So you must be saying the Bible was wrong. The Bible says that all those who are descendants of Abraham are part of the people of God and God loves them. And you're saying many of the descendants of Abraham are not. So who's right, Paul or the Bible? And here's how Paul responds in Romans chapter 9, verse 9. Or forgive me, I'm I'm sorry, not verse 9. I looked at uh, the the wrong chapter, verse 6. Romans 9, verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. You see, Paul makes the exact same point there. You want to be a child of God? You want to be a descendant of Abraham? You need to come to Christ. I don't care who your parents are. You need to come to Christ. Christ is how you get into Abraham's covenant, not bloodline. He says explicitly, there are some whose bloodline comes from Israel, but he doesn't call them Israel. There are those who are from Israel who are not Israel. Your bloodline is not what brings you into the people of God. As we go back to Galatians chapter 3, he says in verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. He continues in this line of thought, and, and, and we have to make a quick rabbit trail just because this is, it's in the text and it's really important. Notice the grammar of verse 8. It's kind of bizarre. He says that in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before him to Abraham. So what is it that preached the gospel? Paul says that Abraham had the gospel preached to him. 
And according to the grammar of verse 8, what preached the gospel to Abraham? The scripture. But why is that a problem? Because when Abraham had the gospel preached to him, there was no such thing as scripture. It didn't exist. Who actually was it that preached the gospel to Abraham? Who was it that said to Abraham, quote, in you shall all the nations be blessed? Who said that? God. But who does Paul say says it? Scripture. Do we have a contradiction here? Is Paul just a loony? No, Paul actually learned this very thought process from Jesus himself, who in Matthew 22 told this to the Sadducees, And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? That's a weird grammatical statement too. Why? You don't read what someone says. You hear what someone says. So how could Jesus possibly say, have you not read what was said? How could Paul possibly say the scriptures preached to Abraham when they didn't even exist? We know it was God. That's because Paul understands the amazing and unique nature of scripture as being the very word of God that when it speaks, God speaks and vice versa. He can essentially make the scriptures synonymous with God because they bear his qualities and they are his very word. Who preached to Abraham, God or the scripture? Take your pick. They're both God's word. In other words, Jesus and Paul would relate the scriptures to the word of God so closely that they're interchangeable. But we get back to the point that our lineage does not justify us. He says something else very interesting in verse 8 that we will come back to in our third point, referring this to the gospel. But we will come back to that. But he goes on to say that the scriptures preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. All the nations shall be blessed in you. And so we see that we are justified. We talked about this last week in the same process as Abraham. How is Abraham justified? He believed in God and God's gospel. The text says the gospel was preached to him. That's what the text says. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So Abraham had the gospel preached to him, and then he believed. And Paul's point is, how is someone today, many years after Abraham, how are we saved? We hear the gospel, and we believe. Again, Paul is making the same point. It's not by lineage, but by faith. Just like for Abraham, it wasn't by lineage. It was by faith. It's never been about lineage. It's always been about faith. If you want to be part of the Abrahamic blessing, you enter into it the same way Abraham did. Believe the gospel. It has nothing to do with your bloodline. It has everything to do with your faith, which is why he reiterates that in verse 9, that it is those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul thoroughly refutes this idea that your lineage justifies you, that your lineage makes you part of the people of God. But then he goes on to refute the second notion that what about the Gentiles? How are they justified? Same way. Not according to what the Jews were saying, which is through the law, but also by faith. Look at verses 10 through 12 with me. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. 
But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So he brings the law into the equation now, and he tells us that you cannot receive the blessing promised to Abraham's descendants by law. As a matter of fact, it's quite contrary. The law cannot provide you with blessing. Here's what the law offers you. You ready? Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. If you want a blessing, the law is not going to give it to you. The law is going to give you a curse. And he's quoting from the law, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. It's the law's own testimony that unless you're a perfect person, the law has nothing to offer you but a curse. We see this pattern. If you were to read through Deuteronomy and Leviticus, we see this concept of blessing and cursing all over the place. The Jews were familiar with this. And the Old Testament was essentially set up this way. Obey and be blessed. Disobey and God will curse you. You see that all that, that, that's how it's set up. Here's the law, obey it and be blessed, disobey it and God will curse you. But what many of the Jews fail to recognize, and I would argue most religious people in our country today fail to recognize, is that when we talk about doing the law, when we talk about God's standard for obedience, it's not pretty good. God doesn't grade on a curve. You see, this is, you can, I, I would argue you can see this, this was the Jewish mindset. And, and there are many Jewish traditions today that will openly admit this mindset that you just have to have 51% of the law fulfilled on a daily basis. If you just are a little bit better than you are bad, you're just. You've been justified by your works. But the law is not about the curve. What does the law's own testimony say? Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. The law requires perfection. If you want to find justification by the law, go ahead. Just know you have to be perfect. But there's a problem with that. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. There's our dilemma. Romans chapter 3 says, No one is righteous, no, not even one. No one is good, no one seeks after God, no one knows God. There's our dilemma. The law has a stringent standard. James chapter 2, verse 10 through 11 says this, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery is also the one who said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. The law will bless you only if you're perfect. The problem is we come to the law imperfect. Before we even receive it, we've already sinned. And then when we try to follow it, we don't measure up. So here's the problem. You want to be justified by the law, you have to be perfect, but you're imperfect. So that means all the law can offer you is the curse. That's all it can offer you. So Paul is exposing the, the inconsistency of this line of reasoning that, yeah, you Gentiles, if you want to be justified, just come obey the law. You'll receive the, the blessing of Abraham. You'll be part of the family of God if you'll just come in and obey the law. And Paul says, you are cursing those people. They can't measure up to that. The law will bring nothing but condemnation to them. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things. And so that's why Paul says in verse 11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Paul says, this is crystal clear. I'm, I'm making a point you all should agree with. No one, other than Christ, no one has been justified by the law. 
Nobody. This is evident. This is plain. This is clear. All the law can offer you is a curse. And that's not the law's fault. That's our fault. The law is good, holy, and righteous. We're the ones who broke it. So if you want to be justified by the law, all you're going to find is condemnation. If you rely on works of the law, all you will find is curse. It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. And so then he quotes from the law itself again. Even the law testifies as to how you are made right with God. If the law were a person, if I could personify the law, the law would say this. Listen, you have to obey me in total completion and you've already failed. So if you want to be justified, verse 11, the righteous shall live by faith. I can curse you, but your faith can make you righteous. That's the law's own testimony. And this is an interesting verse in the way it's translated, the righteous shall live by faith. This was also quoted in Romans 1.17. And uh, I, from my familiarity, uh, Bill will be able to correct me on this if I need to be. But from what I think I remember, this was sort of the, the cataclysmic verse that changed Luther. Luther read this same Old Testament quotation. Paul quotes it in Romans 1.17. Luther read that and it just changed his heart. And he saw it and the blinders came off and he said, How am I made righteous before God? By faith. And, and the reason I say it's kind of confusing is because most of the English translations read the way the ESV just put it. The righteous shall live by faith. And so when you read that, what it sounds like is that those who are already righteous have to live every day by faith. Now that's true, but I would argue contextually and even grammatically that's really not how we should understand it. If you have a more literal Bible, some of the Bibles that are more literal in their translations, they will read something like this. He shall gain life who is justified through faith. In other words, this quotation in verse 11, the righteous shall live by faith, is saying that you will find life by the righteousness you have through faith. He's just affirming what we've been seeing over and over again, that you are justified by faith apart from works of the law. And the point that he's making is the law itself told you this. The law told you it can't justify you, and the law told you faith can justify you. So Paul is not bringing new Christian doctrine to these people. He's explaining to them what they have been misunderstanding all along. That the law cannot justify the Gentiles. And he even goes on to clarify something really important in verse 12. He says, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. What's he saying that? What's, here's what he's saying. We have seen all throughout the book of Galatians that justification by faith in works are, on, are, are juxtaposed. They, they don't belong together. Works belong in the Christian life. But they don't belong in justification. Does that make sense? And Paul is essentially saying the same thing here. He's refuting in verse 12 an argument that would try to bring faith and works together. Something that maybe sounds like this. We understand that the Gentiles have to be justified by faith. You can't come and be an atheist and still fulfill the law. So they're saying, yeah, you're justified by both. By faith and by works in the law. And Paul reminds us that that's not the nature of the law. The law is not categorically something that belongs to faith. In other words, when God gives you the law, are you merely supposed to believe in it? Is that why God gives you law? Does he say, have faith in my law? And you say, I believe you, God. All the atheists think that your law doesn't exist, but I believe your law exists. Is that the purpose of the law? To have faith? No. What's the purpose of the law? Quote, from the law itself, the one who does them shall live by them. God gives a law to obey it. 
the whole category of law. God gave this to you to obey it. You don't just have faith in the law and call that justification through the law. You can't just believe in the law. You have to do it. And again, he reminded us, you haven't. You've fallen short of God's standards. So Paul has made it clear, your lineage cannot justify you. Paul has made it clear, your good works cannot justify you. But you are justified. You are united to the people of God. You are brought into the Abrahamic prompts by faith and faith alone. But he knows that there's a problem. Here's the problem. Okay, so Paul, let me get this straight. You're telling me that, okay, so my lineage doesn't justify me. Okay. The law doesn't justify me. Okay, that's fine. I get that. But here's the problem. You told me that all who break the law are under a curse, and I've broken the law by yours and my admission. So aren't I under a curse? So which is it? I have faith in God, so I'm justified, but I broke the law, so I'm also under a curse. So how can I receive a curse and a blessing at the same time? Which one is it? Justified by faith, but the law has condemned you? And this is where Jesus becomes so important to this equation. Because look at what he says in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And then verse 14, so that in Christ, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So you're justified by faith, and the reason the curse no longer applies to you is because Christ freed you from the curse by taking that curse on himself in your place. So we see how the law actually helps the Abrahamic covenant. The law is part of it. The law is what helps push us forward in the Abrahamic covenant. The law was not come to be contrary to the covenant, but to actually help things flow directly to Christ as it was always planned. Right? Because that's what he says. He says that in verse 14, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And then in 14, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come. God always wanted Abrahamic's blessing to be poured out through his only begotten son. And the law served that purpose. He gave us the law to double down and remind us, you can't do it. You need Christ. The law serves the purpose of Christ. God gave us the law to condemn us, to make us see how unworthy we are, and so now we go looking for Christ because he is the only way that I can be freed from the curse that I have earned because it was he who took on our curse and that when we enter into relationship with Christ by faith, our sins are forgiven and we receive his righteousness. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for just a moment. This is a really famous verse. And what I mean by famous is it's been discussed and quoted throughout church history quite a bit. If you do like Bible memories, this is almost always on verse memorizations. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the same idea that Paul's getting at. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Christ Jesus, who fulfilled the law perfectly, who obeyed the law in our place, who knew no sin, was made to be sin. He was, he was counted as the sinner. He was counted as us. He who knew no sin was made to be sin so that our punishment could be absorbed through him and now we can become God's righteousness. That's Paul's point that, that Christ became a curse for us. He became sin for us. He took on our sin. He took on our curse. And that freed us from the curse of the law. So now we can run to him in faith and be justified by faith. But if he doesn't die, if he doesn't pay for your sins, you can never be justified by faith because you're under the curse of the law. But he freed you from that. And so now you can come to him and by faith be justified. So Paul's two main points in Galatians chapter 3 is, number one, your lineage cannot count you as the people of God. Your lineage cannot save you. Only faith can. His second point is, especially for all you Gentiles, works of the law cannot save you. Obeying the law will never justify you. Only faith can. But we do one last thing in conclusion that's really important here. And what Paul has also done, I don't think he did this intentionally, but Paul has now actually defined and clarified what the Abrahamic blessing actually is. He's told us how we don't receive it and how we do receive it. Right? It's, not, it's by faith, not by lineage. It's by faith, not by works. But the question is, is what is it? When someone talks about the Abrahamic covenant being part of that covenant, when someone talks about the promise that was given to Abraham, what does that even mean? What was the promise? Well, Paul quotes from the Old Testament. He reminds us of it. Go back to the end of verse 8. Here was the promise given to Abraham. In you shall all the nations be blessed. Okay, but what does that mean? Everyone's going to get a million dollars because of Abraham? That's a blessing, right? You're going to get money in the Abrahamic covenant? Well, what does it mean for the nations to be blessed by Abraham and his descendants? How, are, how, are, how is the lineage of Abraham going to bless the nations? You know, I've actually heard people who will oftentimes try to make arguments that what this is saying is that the nation of Israel, the physical, legal nation of Israel, will, will do great things for the world. I, I sat down once with a friend who tried to tell me that, you know, most people don't know this, but the vast majority of life-saving vaccines have been developed by Jewish people. So there's one way the descendants of Abraham have blessed the nations. It's Israel who has given you these amazing life-saving things. Israel is blessing the nations. But when you look at Paul's argument here, the way the Abrahamic promise blesses the nations has nothing to do with the people of Israel. It has, hear me on this, this is very important, it has nothing to do with national Israel. Nothing. It's not about them. How is it, what is the blessing that the nations receive through the promise that was first given to Abraham? Paul says at the end of our text, verse 15, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of, Ab of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What does it look like when the blessing reaches the Gentiles? Vaccines? No wars? Technology? No, you receive God's Holy Spirit. And we discussed last week as Paul brought the Spirit into this, what is the Spirit? The Spirit is our mark and seal of our justification. 
The Spirit was, was the way God says, this person belongs to me, which is why throughout the book of Acts, whenever the Jews told the apostles, well, the Gentiles aren't saved yet because they haven't obeyed the law, the apostles were quick to say, oh, that's funny because the Holy Spirit fell upon them the same way it did us. The Holy Spirit is our mark and seal and proof of our justification. So what is the Abrahamic covenant? What is the Abrahamic blessing? It's salvation. It's justification, the indwelling of the Spirit. How, what did God mean when he told Abraham, one day through your descendants I will bless the nations? What he meant by that is you will eventually give birth to Jesus who will bring salvation to the world. That's the Abrahamic blessing. This is why John the Baptist, we go back to Mark, you know, it was the first thing he said about Jesus. John the Baptist is preparing the way for the Lamb of God. He's preparing the way and he sees Jesus coming. He sees the Lord of glory and you know what he tells them? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus did not come to make a super nation that everybody envies. He came to save everyone. He came to bless the Jews and the Gentiles by forgiving them of their sins, redeeming them from the curse, and uniting them to their God. The Abrahamic covenant is new covenant salvation. That's why, you know, in our church we have Baptists and Presbyterians together and, and Reformed Baptists and Reformed Presbyterians are what we call covenant theologians and we won't get into the details here because they have a lot of agreement here and some slight disagreements. So Presbyterians would say that the new covenant is an administration of the Abrahamic. Uh, Baptists would say, no, they're, they're different covenants but one has been fulfilled the other. So there is a slight difference in how we understand that but the point that we all recognize is this unique relationship of the new covenant that we have found salvation in and Abraham's, Abraham's covenant. We see this immediate and close relationship whereby the promise that was given to Abraham is fulfilled or expressed in new covenant salvation. So, I ask you, if anyone ever asks you again, where do you come from? If you want to be tricky, if you want to be smart, you could say, well, I can tell you this. I don't know much about my history, but I know who one of my great forefathers is. Father Abraham. He belongs to me. He's part of my family. He's part of my family tree. Not by blood. Not by the law. But because Abraham and me both have been united to God through our only mediator, Jesus Christ. He received the blessing of God and I received the blessing of God the same way by faith in the gospel that was believed. And that's why the text calls it the gospel. You realize Abraham had the gospel preached to him? That's what the text says. Abraham heard the gospel. Now, obviously, we understand the gospel in much more detail than Abraham did. We have a fuller understanding of the gospel. But the Abrahamic covenant was ultimately the gospel, that Christ would save the world. Abraham believed the gospel, we believe the gospel, and that's how we're united to Christ and to one another in that gospel message. The blessing promised through Abraham comes to all who are in Christ by faith, not to those who keep the law, not to those who have a special family lineage. You are blessed alongside Abraham by your faith in Christ. You are justified by your faith in Christ. And that is what Paul needed the Galatians to see.